Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers. Welcome to the podcast. This is Taylor, your host. I'm here with my fellow host, Isaac. What's up, dude? How's it going, Taylor? Oh, it's going great. It is summer vacation. I'm currently recording this podcast in my bathrobe. <laughs> I'm I'm freaking chilling. It's great. Nice. It's actually been like a rainy July, which has been really weird, but um you know, all good. It's summertime. <laughs> it is, even though I wake up every morning, let the dog out and it's just sprinkling rain on my head. Uh, it's fine. It makes it easy to do indoor activities like play flesh and blood. Nice. <laughs> um, speaking of, we uh, we decided to, so this is going to be kind of an update to uprising draft strategy from what we've learned so far. Um, we haven't played a lot of limited games, but we've learned quite a bit um, about the matchups and heroes and which cards are actually good and not. And um you know, I thought we'd share that all with everybody. Of course, our ideas will develop, but just the timing right now is really pertinent because of limited road to Nats. So uh, yeah. I figured maybe not perfect, but we just get it out there to, uh, you know, whatever you take away from it and can improve your game with is, you know, better than nothing. So uh, that's what we're doing. It, that is exactly what we're doing. I would say probably like, we have played quite a bit of draft and limited, but maybe compared to enough to uh, what our like standard would be at this time, we would have liked to have had like probably an extra week. But I would guess that we have played way more than your average person. So yeah, most likely, yep. So not to sell ourselves short in our knowledgeable expertise is all I'm. All I'm getting at is you should listen to what we have to say or not. It's your choice. That's why they're here. Um, oh. Okay. So uh, let's start off with some news, I think, before we uh, move into everything else. Um, James White appeared on uh, Lie Dofidi podcast. Um, you know, reaching out to the European audience out there and had some pretty uh, titillating spoilers. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the new set, which was spoiled, the name of it was spoiled on the Instant Speed podcast. Uh, shout out to both of these uh, channels. Great, great content. Uh, that Dynasty is the name of the next expandable set coming in November and that the emperor of Valkor will be prominently uh, displayed, utilized. It'll be a big part of the set, the emperor, and that they are an important figure and we'll be getting a new class in the next expandable set, which is just wild to me. Yep. And uh, yeah, the there's a lot going on with this expandable set. 
you know, like a bit more than maybe crew or something. Although there was a lot going on with Everfest. We had a, you know, a bomb drop by the name of Starvo. So, (laughs) um, that's so true. Also the emperor will be revealed at the pro tour in Lille. So, uh, you know, look out for that. Yeah. I'm not sure if that means the like key artwork for it or the actual card. Right. Um, so that remains to be seen, uh, but is very exciting. My thoughts about this new expandable set are that I think we're going to get a talented set with maybe uh, talent class cards as well, potentially. Potentially. I'm not sure how they're going to do that, but... Um, but then maybe it leaves out like somebody like mechanologist who hasn't gotten a uh, new hero yet. So I don't know. It just seems like they can't keep expanding class card pools and not help out the uh, talents because then that's like feels very limiting for design. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, maybe it'll be a bit of everything because it would be great to get like, especially with the banning of ball lightning, you know, like a few more lightning cards or a few more shadow cards for Leviah or things like that. But then, like you said, it does leave out, you know, Chain's living legend now. Um, So shadows only for Leviah. Mechanologist wouldn't get anything unless that's also somehow a specialization, which that's a weird thing that they special or they clarified is weird but didn't tell us exactly what they meant (laughs) but they said it's on purpose yeah that it will make sense at some point yeah so uh that's my thoughts any thoughts isaac about the new class um i don't know so (laughs) the woman on findel's fighting spirit is seemingly the same woman on adrenaline rush and poison the tips which maybe this is a bit of a stretch here but it really seems like the same woman who is going to be like my favorite class maybe is she's just like you know a tribal uh warrior assassin berserker druid i you know i don't know but (laughs) i'm really into the flavor and um you know so i don't know i'll just pick that Sweet. That sounds great. I mean, this is, uh, I put this on, uh, Twitter shout out to Melody likes who asked this question. Um, also shout out to the pitch perfect podcast. Great. Having a fun time listening to that. Keep it up everybody over there. Um, I want, what I want is that for there to be a necromancer, like boom, hard pivot off of ice wizard onto necromancer. Now I'm a necromancer. That's the life I live. That's exactly what will happen. Um, but I don't think that will happen. But what I do think is that maybe we'll get an alchemist. So we had all of these new potions in Everfest laying down the foundation for an alchemist to come out. Right. And maybe with like, what is it? Uh, life of the party. Uh, maybe talks about how that deck could interact, right? If if a potion is out and you play this, do this or something, you know? So I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a number of cards that uh, 
deal with items like that, like knickknack, you know? Right. Um, there's also a number of cards that deal with like money. I don't know if an alchemist would also have money, but there's just like a lot of design space using these items um, mm -hmm. or having a little bit of a bonus for having or using items, um, you know, would be very cool. Totally. So those are my thoughts slash our thoughts. Uh, nice. What else do we have for news? Um, so the ELO update is coming. They promised that it is coming this week. Um, they've just been, you know, they, they had a bit of a, I don't know, mistake one time when they updated ELO, uh, which the computer did it wrong or out of order or whatever. So they just clarified that they are making sure that it is perfectly calculated when updated, which is why there's been a bit of a delay, but once it is implemented, implemented, um, the update should come, uh, you know, after every match in a tournament. It's just like a system that they're building, I guess. And, you know, want to get it right. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, ELO should be calculated after every round rather than at the end um, because the amount of ELO you gain with a win or lose with a loss depends on your opponent's current ELO level. So... Um, if it calculates it all at the end of a tournament, then, uh, that's a bit more fiddly than every round. So much less, much less accurate. Um, yeah, so I mean, it could, doing. it could calculate it chronologically after the fact, right? Like you lost round two. So then your new ELO was this. So then that meant round three would be that, you know what I mean? Like the computer could still do that, but yeah. Right. Um, Anyway, do you want to tell us about our uh, Fab Foundry endeavor? Yeah, totally. So, friend of the pod, Travis, aka On It, our longtime affiliate um, over at Fab Foundry, also Discs and Dice in Troutdale. So many names and so many acu acumen. I don't know if that's the right word. Anyway, um, so they are now sponsoring our segment of pick pass pray so how this is going to work is you're either going to listen to the whole episode or just fast forward down to the pick pass pray part we're going to talk about our picks our passes and our praise um, and if you don't know how that segment works just fast forward down there to the end and you will be able to find it and know how it works so then uh what on it is going to do is he's going to tweet out the three cards in a in a picture from their twitter um and you the listener will benefit uh by getting uh some sweet goodies if you like and comment what your pick pass and pray will be so then you'll be entered into a random drawing and uh the winner for this episode is going to get one each of the new uprising blitz decks and six packs sent to them so again we'll be doing pick pass prey go over to on its twitter which we will link in the show notes and you're gonna like and comment on that um and then he'll pick pick a winner uh, and we'll, that way. we'll we'll retweet it also and all that but this yeah. is a killer prize totally six Everybody packs. go do it yeah totally and all the blitz decks I don't have those yet. 
Nice. Yeah. So uh, really appreciate the sponsorship. I think this is really cool. Um, so make sure you check out all of that stuff after this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had, all right. I, I thought I was going to have a witty ending to that, but <laughs> my brain just kind of like, shout outs. All right, you got two of these, so why don't you go first and sandwich mine? Okay. <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> um, okay, so my first shout-out is to our boy over at Ethnic Smoke. Great YouTube channel. Um, I can't remember uh, Homie's first name. Uh, we met him in Portland in March for a road to nationals. Um Isaac, I think you beat him on camera, maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Just, very, just to flex very a nice little bit. Guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He has a great YouTube channel where he does commentary over his his TTS games and like walks you through the lines and stuff. And so it's been really helpful for me because I am also on uh, the Icelander journey right now. And so it's good to just see somebody else's thoughts and lines of play. And I've learned uh, quite, a, quite a bit um, from him. And they're just like pretty good videos. I also appreciate that he wins every game. So I think that's cool. <laughs> like if you're going to put stuff out there, you might as well put the ones you win. Like love it. <laughs> that's funny. I feel like I always lose in our productions. <laughs> 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 um, okay yeah v very nice guy in his defense he sideboarded wrong against me in that uh match and i kind of steamrolled him but um maybe he'll get me next time i'll be back in portland um so well, in that i same... think he lives in seattle so you really got to go for it oh gotcha <laughs> um in that same vein i was just gonna shout out uh our a local podcast we have okay and why podcast who you know, do a number of things, but really just pump out the uh, uh, TTS gameplay videos online. And, you know, despite all of the content for Flesh and Blood out there, there's like not really that much like gameplay, especially with audio or whatever. So anyway, I just appreciate that they're like, they're just testing or playing games on TTS and just make the effort to uh, just record them and upload them, you know, so it's great. Really, really adds to the the community out there so thanks guys yeah i'm not sure what it is particularly about their videos that is appealing maybe it's just like uh oliver's kind of i don't know funny little his little humors and his little isms and stuff like every time he makes like an ash wing he says you know make two friends <laughs> you know <laughs> and then when they die like oh my friends or you know <laughs> stuff like that or yeah, I don't know. It it's, yeah. it is like oddly low tech, but super appealing at the same time. Maybe because it's so honest. And you know, Yijin and Oliver are freaking awesome. They're great, great dudes, pillars of the community for sure. Super fun to hang out with. So there's that. All right, my on, on to the third. Yeah, my final shout out is now who I consider my boy. Uh, Blake, Blakey Fresh 
from Outcast Haven. Just a real uh, joy on Twitter. Just a real homie. Also, Blake, if you want to come on the podcast, you just let me know, bro. Um, yeah, totally. Kind of, you know, surprisingly social and nice from a kind of cantankerous, cranky podcast. So <laughs> it's it's uh, good to know that it's basically just Jason uh, that, you know, is the cranky one. And everybody else is is a regular, normal, nice person. So I do appreciate on that note that like I don't always agree with their um, beliefs, but I do appreciate that they just don't like give a shit and we'll just give it to you straight. That's better than the like, you know, sugarcoating it, telling people what they want to hear. So, you know, totally. They got a brand and they're and they're sticking to it. It's great. Yep. Uh, so yeah, go follow Blake on Twitter. It's like at Blakey fresh, I think something like that or freshy Blake or Blakey Blake or freshy, fresh, fresh Blake somewhere (laughs) around there. Use all those search terms. You'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) There's sure. There's probably other routes also, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, all right. If that's all we got, all let's move into the main topic here. Hey y'all, it's Taylor again. I forgot to mention in the main pod when we recorded this the first time that it is also the month of July, so that means it is Fab Fitness Challenge time for the whole month of July. Um, Big shout out to Brendan Patrick from Arsenal Pass who started this community movement for uh, health and well-being. So what is happening for the month of July is we are trying to gather the members of the flesh and blood community and improve our health. Now that can happen in a variety of ways, whether that is physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, all of those things, whatever you personally need to improve your health. I have been taking up uh, running again. So typically I am a person who does uh, anaerobic fitness uh, and weight training and that sort of thing. But for this month, I am working on my cardiovascular health. So I've been running a couple of times a week. So in our Discord, we have a fab fitness specific channel where people are sharing their fitness and health journeys. And I'm trying to, uh, every time I go on a run, post it on Twitter. So that's, that's all the challenge is, is, um, pick a goal or, um, some parameters that you would like to follow for July, uh, to improve your health. You know, it can be sleep more, eat healthier, read uh, a book every day, those sort of things. It doesn't have to be just about um, classic fitness uh, based on weight or body fat percentage or weight on the barbell, that sort of thing. So whatever you need, uh, we here in the community are here for you. Um, 
and that sort of thing. So if you want to get on that train, uh, definitely do so. Get at me on Twitter or at Brendan on Twitter as well. Uh, and uh, we're here for you. So whatever support you need, you have it. And good luck to you all. And back to our regularly scheduled program. Thank you. Okay, sweet. Main topic it is. Everything we've learned so far about Uprising Limited. Specifically draft. I guess we can just clarify this is going to be most notably draft. Um, Okay, so first up, and we'll talk about um, class cards when we talk about each of the classes also, but are there any like notable bombs or just like hot cards that you'd like to shout out, um, you know, initially? Um, I mean, so I think, you know, Uprising is obviously a really strong card. It feels like one of the most strong Majestics. Um, that you can play you just get a ton of value out of it um i really like spellfire cloak i was already really high on that piece of equipment but that is like one of the like uh pack one uh pick ones for sure that i would take i really really like that card um even just to hate draft it Uh, And then as far as the dragons go, I think I was, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this, like maybe Uvia I thought was going to be better than Necria, but I feel like Necria and Yindirai are kind of maybe the two best dragons. Um, So I feel like those are really good. Like Yindirai is way better than I thought it was going to be. So I don't know if that's like bomby or hot cards but they are certainly very very powerful all of those cards mentioned yeah definitely Yendra is pretty hard to get rid of yeah it's stupid <laughs> um yeah definitely i uh the the wizard chest is just so crucial because your deck's not going to be perfect right so then when you have your blue ice bolt or whatever you're like god this two cost damn it you know it just you just pop the chest And then, you know, it makes it good. Now you're turning three damage into six. And hopefully the other times you'll have a one cost in there. Um, And it can even come up on like your turn. It just like comes up all the time. I remember one playing, playing one draft where I did not have the chest. And I was like, God, I counted like five times where I could have used it, you know? Yeah. And it makes, it makes your turn like so much better. It makes it so easy to play any two costed like uh, blue from Arsenal and mm-hmm. swing the uh, moon while being able to block with two cards. Yeah. So really, really good. Yeah. Um, uh, so some cards I I singled out here that we are already on, but Aether Ice Vein Red specifically is just huge. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then like blue or even red Aether Hail. I'm so high on Aether Hail. Um mm-hmm. Just because it's like the math in this set doesn't just doesn't really add up for a lot of cards, right? Like, um, you know, like blue ice bolt does what three damage? Yeah, and two for you three. know, blue aether hail does five damage. It's just like <laughs> anyway. Um, also, lava burst is just so good. It's like oh, one of right. those power yeah. cards that does not. Um, 
you know, like five turns always kind of hinge on like, uh, you know, three resources, two for the sword, a one cost, a zero cost of a flame and then lava burst. You know what I mean? Or like for, uh, Droma, you can pull this off because you like maybe pitch a red to play a red and then have dragons and then lava. It's just like way above all the other rupture cards. It's just so playable so often. Um, it also blocks for three. You can also tide flippers it in a pinch. It's just like nuts. Um, and in that same vein, Blaze Headlong is like, I'll stand by it, still pretty busted. That card is just so strong. Um, even like Scar, you kind of have to manufacture. Like it's not always online. I feel like Blaze Headlong is always online unless you're literally going to die. <laughs> so <laughs> those are pretty huge picks for me. Um, yep. So anyway, so first we're going to talk about... Um, you know, drafting the heroes and like a little bit of notes on those like cards, strategies, you know, sleeper cards, whatever, um, what you're looking for. And then we're going to, we'll move into like, uh, breaking down some of the matchups. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, let's talk about, uh, how about five first? Okay. Um, so you want to talk about kind of the standout cards you want to be picking for that hero? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, so I think some of the simple stuff, right? So this is what I've learned in Phi is like initially you go, sweet, I just need the low to the ground, most powerful, uh, non-conditional go-again attacks, right? Like that's definitely what we want. Um and maybe some of the like better draconic cards like lava burst, breakpoint, um, some other ones that are eluding me. But what I found is that the uh, you don't just do that and then wind up with like some blues that are crappy at the end of a pack um, because of like the nature of draconic being adding in so many more red cards that you have to be a bit more active in picking your resources so you can get kind of like a really powerful deck but not the resources to kind of fuel it consistently. Um, so for me, making sure that I keep track of how many like blues I pick, I'm trying to like pretty much pick blues, I think every round to get to that like kind of eight blue cards right around there, depending on what other cards you have, you might even go up to 10. Um, so I found that to be like really key between two different Phi decks um, because it allows you to still like uh, free attack, sword, have one left over for a Phoenix Flame. And, you know, that's just with like pitching a blue. So that's like uh, pretty big in terms of like efficiency. Cause that's uh seven damage, right? Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree. You'd almost rather have some turns like two blues than no blues unless your deck's really fire and is really free. Um, I actually found that I personally like the, I mean, blue block for threes are great, but I really like the blue go again, like blue unconditional go again cards. Cause then, I mean, you want your foot on the gas anyway, and then it like really ups those ratios, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so if you draw two blues, it's like that eh, your damage goes down, but it only goes down by like two or three in the turn. So maybe you're swinging for like nine instead of 12 or 10 instead of, you know, 14 or whatever. But um, it just ensures that you can, you know, always have those big turns instead of kind of bricking like a bunch of one cost reds in your hand. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Like eight to 10 blues and unlike in all other, well, maybe not all other, but in a lot of other limited sets, you would kind of get past kind of garbage blues and be able to fill it in this way but yeah like you said because the draconics are all red um you know and the fact that maybe icelander wants blues also so maybe grabbing those blue sifts or whatever the competition for blues is actually like a bit a bit higher um also i'm not really mad so yellows in this set is uh are like pretty bad but i'm not really <laughs> mad to have a few yellows in phi actually because it just kind of like if you count your blues and you're like okay i have eight blues but then you count and you're like oh well now i have like i have four yellows also so then i'm 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 like feeling pretty good there um you know and they only do one less damage for what they do um also in the in terms of resources i found sash of sandakai is insanely good that card oh is yeah yeah nuts um which I didn't like understand all of these interactions before, but it's just like it enables like a red hot turn or, you know, an engulfing flame wave turn, mm -hmm. which that card is better than I thought it was. It's a two cost. So I kind of hate it, but it buys cards out of your opponent's turn. So maybe if it's cost hampers your turn a bit, it still hampers their turn because they have to block it, um, which is pretty nice. So anyway, like using sash to turn on like, you know, again, your deck's not going to be perfect. So when you draw a red rebellious rush, you know, and you have to swing your sword, um, or it can, you know, it could even turn on searing touch, right? Like one cost, zero cost, sword, mm -hmm. flame, sash, sand, or searing touch. Uh, there's just like so many applications for it and it really smooths out your deck. Um, so I can't like Sasha Sandakai might be like a pack one, pick one for me. It's just like, it's yeah. pretty insane. It's really, really good. Um, um, what other notes on Fi do we got? You got anything else you want to throw in there? Uh, no. I mean, I think you know you can play it kind of like of a mid range deck too. That's pretty good. I think uh, where you do pitch that blue, uh, free card, uh, sword, phoenix flame. You know, it's like uh pretty powerful and grindy in it you know it also leaves you room to be able to play your oasis respites um instead of phoenix flaming there if the wizard is trying to wizard you and you know stuff like that oh yeah 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 um so i had a couple more i actually really love burn away um i might if i have a couple of those i might put a couple more phoenix flames in my deck but um and i might do this a bit too uh hastily or flippantly but i'll just burn my phoenix flame to play burn away i mean zero for four go again blocks three great yeah. card opener yeah. you know really really good uh rising resentment is also pretty nuts buys a card out of your opponent's hand if it doesn't then it really fixes your turn and you can um you know play something at a discount which you'll you know may run into a lot yeah, it's really good against uh, Frostbite. So if you open up with Rising Resentment and it hits, 
and you have another zero cost, you can still banish it. And then if they give you frostbite, you just pay through it. You like don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Well, it'd have to be the second link, but yes. Um, well, no, if it's the first one and you banish a zero cost, right? It costs one less to play because it's also zero. It's less than the chain links you control. Uh, if you play Rising Resentment, it gets a discount for the number of chain links on at Rising Resentment. Yeah. So if if Rising Resentment hits and then you banish a zero, right, which is the only one you could do. I don't think Frost, Frost can go below zero. Well, well, I don't know. Well, well, then maybe not. Anyway, we got look it up. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Anyway, um, and my last little card I actually kind of liked was the like. No, it does work because Rising Resentment is Draconic Chainlink one, so it has to be less. So zero is less than one. Yep. Yep. So then, if there how were does I get rid of the frostbite? Well, then if you have a frostbite, you would then get to play your zero cost. It would cost you one extra because of the frostbite, but you get a discount from the hit effect on rising resentment, which brings it back down to zero. Oh, I got you. Yeah. So it's not like it's negative one. Right. If you were to play it anyway. Yeah. It's how then those layers, uh, are stacked and resolve. Um, sweet. Figured so, it uh, out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's also warning time here. <laughs> so forgive it, us. It's late morning. It is. Um, so the last little card I like in Phi is in flame, which just swings for one go again. But, uh, I actually found when playing with this card, uh, Oftentimes, I would have my Phoenix Flame in my arsenal, choosing to arsenal it in case I need an opener rather than like play it at the very end of a link or of the chain. So, if you have in Flame, you can have these turns where you like, you know, play a card with Go again, play your Phoenix Flame out, you know, pop your Heat Wave to give it plus one, and then close the chain. And then in Flame is one of the only cards, it just requires you to have played a red card this turn not on this chain. So then after you close the chain, your Phoenix flame goes in the graveyard, then you can play in flame, you know, play Phoenix flame again for two because of the heat wave and then continue on your turn. And then you can like sword, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, that little combo, it's just like, I guess in flame really enables heat wave kind of whenever you draw it, whether you have multiple, um, you know, flames in the graveyard or what it's just like always uh, enables it. And some five games are so fast that it's just, you're just like, great. Got two extra damage out of, out of the gloves. Perfect. Um, so anyway, just a, a go again card that swings for one. It was like quite a bit better than I thought. I think I'm still pretty low on this card. Um, just in terms of like, uh, its uses are a bit lower, I think, than other cards you can have in that deck. Just for me personally, like I'm not denying that your combo you laid out is like very cool and uh, pretty good, but I would not say I forget what I rated in Flame. I could go look it up, but I'm not psyched on it. 
Um, yeah, I should clarify. I'm not recommending this as like a higher level pick. I was just commenting on the like functionality mm. um, surprise me in the deck. Gotcha. Um, alrighty, on to Eastlander. What uh, what else have we picked up here? Uh, Eastlander notes. Uh, nah. I mean, it's so hard to know like what we've already talked about. That's where uh, I'm struggling. But so, Eastlander for me is just like as many ice blues as you can hoover up makes that deck like way better because the like play patterns of getting to play ice cards on your opponent's turn and waning moon and kind of grind them and deal damage uh, is just really important, right? So your blue Aether Hails, even your blue Frostings, your blue Ice Bolts, um, just any any blue, uh, you know, Ice card is just uh, straight money. Arctic Incarceration, super huge. Uh, even, you know, Cold Snap's just fine. Um Sometimes your opponent just plays out their arsenal card first and you're like, ah. so then, then it's basically uh, pay, snap. pay one for three damage in a card. Right. Is it's, uh, is it's like lowest value, I suppose. Yeah. And a frostbite, yeah. but yeah. in a frostbite. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still pretty good. Totally. I hear you. Um, uh, you know, I'll even oftentimes run like some yellow ice cards, um, because there are a bit of resources and it's just like ups that like if they block for three, great. And it just like ups the amount of ice in your deck, which for your Icelander deck to function, you like have to fuse quite often. And, you know, it just really, uh, really enables that. Even if not all these ice cards are like very playable, you can still block with them, play them in a pinch. You know, you're just happy to have the, the high ice ratio. Mm-hmm. I and, will you know, say, oh no, go ahead. Well, just the, you know, sometimes if there's like a number of Eastlanders at the table, it, you know, there may not be that many ice cards. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, and it's kind of a bit harder to make that uh, deck function without ice cards um, because the frostbites are really important to your uh, game plan of giving yourself like enough time to win the game. I think there's probably like, there is a world where you wind up with just a bunch of baller red spells and you just win the game in three turns or something, you know? Um, but maybe four turns, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but then your opponent just also has to have like no quell and no arcane barrier. You know, you just have like a superior deck anyway. Uh, one card I definitely slept on and I, uh, it still remains to be seen to see if my mind has changed, but uh brain freeze is quite a bit better than I gave it credit for. Like the fact that you get to just take a card away when you fuse with it is like uh, pretty impactful in terms of like being able to slow your opponent down and create a window for yourself to deal damage. Pretty huge. Yeah, I will definitely second that. Just because it like blocks for three also. Yeah. You know? And a lot of times with Eastlander, you're just like blocking a lot. Um to, you know, manufacture your your tempo turns or whatever. So the fact that you can just play brain freeze, fuse with the card you want to arsenal is like yeah. 
I agree. Uh, I mean, it's not insane, but when you draw a hand that doesn't improve your game state or isn't going to win you the, you know, it like really just gets you there. Um, which a lot of times you need to buy by time with a lot of these heroes actually until you find your, like your money turns. Yeah. I mean, even so like in no ways am I saying you should pick this card over other cards. I'm just saying if you wound up with like one red copy or maybe two blue copies, uh, they might do a bit more for you than you think they're going to like, uh, if you save uh, like blue Aether Hail and for some reason you have red Brain Freeze, that's still kind of a sick two-card hand where you play Brain Freeze and fuse it and then get rid of a card on your opponent's turn and then Arsenal blue Aether Hail, you know? Because the red one allows you to get rid of any card you want, which is sick. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. Like you can get rid of their only blue you know, right. or their most powerful attack or whatever. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, um, it totally is. Yeah. So in that same vein, like blue Aether Hail is, I, I think it's way better than blue Arctic incarceration. Um, it's just like a frostbite in five damage is nuts mm-hmm. for a blue. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also the, the two ping, you can like shoot a dragon out of the air and still hit your opponent for three and not be like too mad. Cause it's only, you only wasted two damage. Um, you know, ice card blue blocks for three. It's just like the versatility of this card is, I mean, this to me is like the best card in Eastlander and like one of the best in the set. It just does everything. Um, so I'm like pretty high on that. Um, another card I really like, which I definitely slept on is singe. Um, Mm -hmm. Because just after playing for a bit, like the Eastlander into Dromai matchup is not favored. But if you have like a couple poppers and a couple singes, then it becomes like really winnable. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause otherwise you might just kind of drown in like, once they get three arcane barrier up, you're just like not getting damage through and they're increasing their board state and you're leaking damage. And there, it just seems like there's no way to win between their quell and arcane barrier. But um, you know, a lot of time, you know, you can see a red singe, play it, deal two damage to them, arsenal a card. Now they're uh, very susceptible to what to your arcane damage again. Um, yeah, it kind of keeps a lid on things, right? Kills an Ashwing, basically deals four damage to them, you know, for yeah. a single blue. It, it's pretty efficient and uh, useful. Definitely. And yeah, I'm not saying pick the, but a lot of times you'll, you'll have packs like wheeling or or you'll get a pack with like no crucial pieces to your puzzle. Right. So then I found that oftentimes I might like in Eastlander, I might grab like, you know, like a red singe instead of, you know, like a yellow critical strike or something that doesn't function very well for her. Um, And yeah, there's only three matchups and it vastly improves your worst one. So I'm sitting a bit higher on that card. Really performed. Definitely. Um, I guess my last, uh, my last Eastlander note here is like glacial horns as suspected, just really overperforms um, because it's like part of combos, but you might not use it in a combo most of the time, but it kind of, it's like brain freeze, right? It kind of like buys you a turn. 
you know, like if you're don't see the cards you want, you have to block out, you, you know, you want to set something up, you just like freeze their arsenal or freeze their arsenal in an ash wing. And it's the same thing, getting rid of a card. And uh, I found it's like been very utile that way. Yeah, I, I think that's this is maybe a little off topic, um, but something we have talked about uh, together a few times is kind of how the equipment in the set is is very good and is super super useful and finding kind of the right time to use your equipment rather than using it to like pivot off of is kind of the nuance to it right like uh you're being able to use all three parts or all three resources on one piece of quell on like a really wide turn or something like that is really important. Um, when you can find that space to do it, it saves you a lot rather than like trying to kind of use it to pivot because it is like powerful, but it's like not that powerful. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or using it with like brothers in arms to block something for five or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, using equipment at like the most opportune moment you can rather than trying to save it for, you know, something bigger or larger or, or something like that. Yeah. That's definitely something we, we talked about, um, off the pod, just how like, or maybe we talked about it on the pod anyway, but yeah, how like, I mean, these are like blitz games, right? They're some are a bit grindier, but they can be like really fast. So, I'll oftentimes use my quell against Phi just when I have an extra blue in hand. Not when I, it's not like the end of the round when I like really need my armor because you might not, it might be kind of awkward to use it. Um, I tend to sometimes just use it, you know, as efficiently as possible. Like I have an extra blue. Yeah. I'm just going to use it to block all these one pingers. Um, and then that's, I find that that's still really great use. Or like in Dromai, I'll use it against Easlander before I have my Ash Wings up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause then after, after you have arcane barrier, you're pretty good to go. So might as well save some life early there. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, keep that in your back pocket, everybody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to move us into Dromai. Perfect. That's what I was going to do as well. Perfect. Um, so I guess my my first big note is uh, as Droma is the high health dragons are like really clutch, right? Because mm -hmm. um, Eastlander can't ping him out of the air mid flight, which really sucks. <laughs> I like it that all these dragons are flying. Also, oh yeah, totally. They'll have flying. Yeah, they're all they're all winged creatures. It's just nice. Well, maybe not Maragai. That seems like a water based dragon. But oh, that's true. Well, yeah, you know, pinging out of the ocean. But so, sidebar just, about Maragai is my favorite dragon art. Every it's so cool that every time I'm like, oh, is it foil? No, <laughs> it's ooh, just so nice. cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, well, just by the nature of Eastlander's cards, she can't do like more than. I think three damage on your turn. So if you have a four health or higher dragon attacking, she can't just end your turn. Right. Um, so that's been like 
pretty huge. It, I mean, it works the same way against Phi instead of like a Phoenix Flame killing it. You know, they have to actually dedicate cards to it or you can just like attack with it again next turn. Um, so yeah, any of those higher health dragons I found like very, very good. Uvia, Necria, Thamai, obviously. Definitely. Um, and then, yeah, the legendary dragons. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, in the same dragon vein, I mean, this is pretty obvious, right? But Uvia is just like insane against Eastlander. Um, yeah. You know, you're... <laughs> your game whole game plan changes then you're just trying to make ash to keep up with the ash wings and just like grind them out because you can like actually kind of fatigue easelander if you're able to block a lot of the arcane damage um so that's like pretty oppressive and then i did not realize this looking at spoilers but after having played vincerakai is awesome against Phi. this is like the toughest matchup maybe in the set dromai against Phi. But if you play Vincerakai against Phi, that's a two-card hand, and they have to eat nine damage or block for six. <laughs> and then they have to kill it on their turn, which might only cost them like a Phoenix Flame or something. But the fact that you just like buy a lot of cards out of their hand, and it's sometimes it's kind of hard to like force a tempo change against Phi, and this dragon really does it. Terrible against Easlander, just pings it right out of the air. <laughs> but uh, it's just like it's it, yeah, it's so good, it's so good. Yeah, um, my notes about Dromai is I, you know, it seems like in our testing that it's kind of the hardest deck to make very good, you know, because um, you can get like burned down too quickly by Icelander before you get any Ash Wings out uh Phi just can kind of run you over sometimes so it just is like a little bit more delicate it seems in the deck you need to construct or at least it is for me personally has been a little bit harder to kind of figure out what the actual cards are to draft kind of specifically for uh you know getting to play dragons and ash wings and that sort of thing uh a stronger or maybe not a stronger a more flexible archetype though in dromai is like the cinepi deck right where with like a single blue if you have dune breakers and ember maws you can come in from anywhere between 13 to 10 damage you know um or nine damage uh just with a single blue and how poppers are like a little bit less um what's the word abundant than in other sets uh so it makes it like that is like a reasonable strategy even if you do ember maw red for eight is like huge that's like almost 50 percent of a character's health you know uh so that's like a lot of damage to take and you can only take so many of those especially when you like do a bit of a an old uh, mid-rangey where you just kind of block with some cards, attack for eight, block for some cards, attack for seven, you know, uh, can be pretty huge. So, yeah, I agree. Learning Dromai has been like the the hardest one in this set. Um, but I think it just, you know, in like 
comparison to Aria, where it was kind of like enact your game plan and build the most consistent deck. Um, this set, which I really like about this set, it's like, uh, yeah, definitely just more matchup based and mid range, right? So I feel like in every game I play and every matchup, I need to, you know, I need to know the critical cards in my deck and I need to just block out and look for them or I need to understand the tempo of the game. I feel like a lot of players make the mistake of trying to turn like a mediocre hand into something, right? Like, oh, I feel like I'm losing and there's so much pressure and I need to like make this hand do something or whatever. But, you know, oftentimes it's not really, um, it's not really worth it, right? Like it's better to preserve a higher life total and know your win conditions in your deck in this matchup, right? So like an example in Drome I would use is like, I don't really like red rake um, against Phi. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fine if you play it early. If you have the breathing room, it's great, right? But it costs you two cards and is like ash negative to just do like max three damage and then maybe some future damage. You know what I mean? It's just like not that efficient if the Phi player is good enough or their deck's good enough, right? You'd much rather be swinging, like you said, like Ember Maw. Yeah. Um, or even just a dragon, right? With right. a little bit more like, attack or health. Yeah. Yeah. Like a free dragon, right? Because then it's going to, they have to kill it or it's just going to keep putting in work and stuff. So, yeah. you know, like rake against Phi, you know, I might choose to block with if I have to. Whereas against Easlander, I'm going to prioritize playing it out. Um, you know, so just, the game, the game state really changes. I feel like there's a lot of cards that are kind of matchup dependent. Um, if you have the luxury of sideboarding them, but also just like in terms of what you block with and what you're looking for, yeah, which is really cool, but is like pretty complex. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've been really enjoying about the set is, um, you know, and it's one of the things I really like about flesh and blood is how many different things cards can do. Right. And now it seems in the limited set, right? Like you said, cards have different roles depending on who you're playing. And I don't know if we have really seen that before in other limited sets in in terms of like what the cards can do. They're either blocking or, um, you know, using their abilities. Um, and I don't remember a time when I was like, Oh, right. This card is super good in this matchup, but not very good in this matchup, right? Other than like yeah. a defense reaction against a arcane deck, right? But even yeah. then in Arcane Rising, like Kano will have some attacks sometimes. So sometimes it's reasonable. So anyway. Um yeah. yeah, is a really cool layer to this uh limited set for sure. Definitely. Um, my last note on Dromai is just, and this is just resoundingly obvious, but it's just how clutch free or like red go again is, especially free red go again to turn on your dragons. Yeah. Um, just, it's just like you can be winning the whole game and about to kill them. And then if you don't draw a way to turn on your dragons, you just like lose all the tempo and can't threaten very much and like can lose all the whole, the whole game on the spot. Um, I'm not quite sure what the right ratio is, but I've definitely included some of those like suboptimal draconic cards for Dromai. Um, 
just to up that. I've also included Phoenix Flames before, which I don't really like, just to up that ratio of red go again. Because you look through your pool and you're like, this is like probably not enough. So, um, yeah, that's I, I think that that's what makes it so hard, right? Like you have to make Ash, you have to turn it into Dragons, you have this whole engine, but then also it's like in limited, you can just kind of brick um, yeah. in that aspect as well, especially since you have to compete with the Fies for the uh, the red, uh, you know, auto go again cards. So that that's a pretty, there's a lot of priorities in Dromai, unfortunately, but that's definitely, it just sucks to like lose a game right at the last minute because you're like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so I have some uh, thoughts about what you said there. So like, I definitely tried the theory of Phoenix Flames in Dromai and it went super terrible. <laughs> yep. And, and it, it just wound up being like, uh, oh, I can win these matchups if I took these Phoenix Flames out because they were just a liability because they were non-blockers uh, in my hand that are red pitches. And either they're like cycling back around for a second cycle to just die because I have cards that don't block. Um, or they just like, they were just too awkward to use them in that red go again role. I personally found, and then I cut them out of the deck and just put in some other cards that I had in my sideboard that maybe mm-hmm. aren't great for matchups, but then they were just like other cards I could block with. Um, in my deck or use if I really needed them to. And that actually felt like way better. Now I'm not saying like Phoenix flames in Dromai are like not a thing. I think there's probably something there if you get the right, like little combo of cards, but it's much harder to pull off. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's just bad. I just, I meant like before I've included like one, just yeah. to up my like red go again, you know, count because it, it was scarily low. Totally. Um, um, another card I was pretty low on and think is maybe better. Maybe, I don't know. I forget where I was. But sand cover is actually a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. Um, You know, just turning an ash into a block for four is pretty sick. Uh, especially cause you can do it against Icelander too. So it is, it had more applications than I thought it was going to, and was a little bit more clutch than I also thought it was going to be, you know, cause yeah. I was like, why, why burn ash dragons are, why defend when you can attack is basically the theory behind that. But in reality, it's like, well, sometimes you got to defend. Definitely. That card can be really offline, which is why I don't love it. But yeah, I, I do think the red one is pretty good just because of its versatility. You can even play it to give your dragons go again, which is <laughs> suboptimal. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true, though. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you want to move into matchups here? Uh, yes, I totally do. All right. The first one I have lined up is five versus Eastlander. So I have a couple notes from both sides and just how this matchup goes and how to play it. Do you want me to, uh, start off here or do you want to lead us off? 
Uh, I will preface up top here that uh, a lot of this is kind of generalized strategy in that usually, right? So like if both players are playing into their general strategy, uh, then the the better deck just kind of usually wins, right? Like me and Isaac were talking about this before the, the pod and um, kind of the nuance in all of these matchups kind of breaks my brain and is hard to kind of articulate in these like one-on-one scenarios because I always just have been going like, well, what if you drafted this card? And then what if you drafted that card? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll just counter every strategy you're saying by drafting the right card for it. Um, so that the games are really won in the draft, right? That is like the hugest part of this whole thing. Not saying you can't outplay your opponents and the, the information Isaac is going to bestow upon you will maybe help you outplay your opponents, but you really got to focus on like, having the better deck in the draft and that like solves a lot of your problems a lot of times yeah, right definitely like if you read your seat right and you're one of the only whatever players at the table your deck's going to be better than everybody else's and especially in the bad matchups right like easland or into dromai or dromai into Fi, um you're yeah like you said you're going to win that matchup in the draft you also have to play really well but um you know sometimes no amount of good play we'll yeah get you out of your yellow sift blue <laughs> trade-in etc etc turn <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh yeah so like <laughs> even though like we're going to talk about five versus icelander where you know on paper icelander might be favored you can still just like run over icelander uh if you just have like a better deck, you know? So, yeah, uh, that's, that's my preface and my, my thesis statement. Definitely. Like the, you know, cause if the, I mean, the five player can just be crippled the whole time, but if the Eastlander, you know, bricks a hand really bad, then, you know, five can just do 14 damage. And then you're like in a pretty bad spot, which is where my advice comes back to like blocking out, and looking for your good turns right because it is such a fast format you're probably only going to get like one pivot turn a game and we'll talk about this a bit more in the matchups and later on but um you know if this is not your hand and you you know say you can block for 11 so even you know even if Fi has this killer turn and they present 14 damage if you block for 11 you only take three damage right and then you're going to keep looking for your good cards and you can't like win this way but it's that's one thing that surprised me about the format is that it was i guess you know with quell against easlander or like dromide's a bit slower or just blocking against Fi, you can actually mitigate like most of their damage over and over again um and like really look for your your winning turn uh yeah you know which sometimes maybe against like briar didn't feel that way but um <laughs> yeah because you just lose to the like constant arcane ping yeah 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 Um, uh so what i want to ask you about five versus icelander on which if you're phi do you go first or second and if you're icelander do you go first or second oh yeah good question um so if i'm phi i want to go first if i'm icelander i want to go first right like do you think um, so yes uh (laughs) 
because Fi can leak some damage. You can almost always leak some damage and get an Arsenal card, um, turn one, or at least buy some of their Quell. And so if Fi, if you go first, you can probably leak some damage. Then if Eastlander is going second, they can swing at you and Arsenal a card, but they, you know, that's what they do turn one anyway, right? Is like swing free arcane, you can't block, and then Arsenal a card and then be able to frostbite you on your first turn. So you're not really buying the tempo as much as you'd like by going second. You know what I mean? Like m- most players would, you know, most times going second, you can like seize the tempo, but Eastlander kind of needs to like get the card in Arsenal. Um, and again, she would just do that anyway. Swing a big red arcane card and Arsenal a blue ice card turn one, which you like can't block out anyway, even though you draw back up. Do you have any yeah. ca- counter thoughts to that? Yeah. I kind of think as Icelander, you want to go second. Ooh, little, uh, little disagreement here. Perfect. Well, because so like you don't know what you, the card is, you are going to get to Arsenal, right? So, uh, if you go second, it just allows you to just basically block with four cards for free on their turn, right? So they like, uh, you, you potentially leak less damage because you are then not trying to prioritize using your arsenal card as a means to, uh, slow them down, right? When they're, uh, their damage is like a bit more impactful when you're uh, when your second turn comes around. So I kind of think you want to go second because then you can still like spell them on turn one, right? In Arsenal a card, but you haven't like uh, potentially leaked as much damage as you might have when you're already down to health points. So that that's kind of my reasoning. Um, behind that and then the same would be the would be for phi is that i don't maybe i guess it kind of depends like if i have a little bit of arcane barrier and quell then uh i might just go second uh against icelander because i want my attacks to be more impactful um but if i don't maybe i do want to go first so i think in phi there's a bit more nuance depending on your like equipment loadout so that's what nice. that's what i got yeah disagreed on all four perfect <laughs> or three and a half <laughs> um all so i just have a couple so in phi i actually like to side in a couple more blues um obviously but you know so you have like <laughs> seven to ten blues you're probably going to run like eight normally but i'll even go up to like ten just so because your damage output is going to be higher even with 10 blues on average and it'll make you like more resilient to uh the taxes and frostbites and stuff so yeah again in my pool if i have a couple too many blues you know it doesn't always feel the best but at least it helps you out here in your bad matchup um you can also i find some sorry i don't really have an example of this but i find that sometimes you can kind of like structure your turn to hedge your bets a little bit um 
in order to see like how many frostbites are going to give you or what they're going to present. And, um, you know, maybe you're like saving a blue in hand, like a little bit later than you would just against Dromai where you're just going totally aggro. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you kind of look for that, like play out your, your safe thing, wait to see what they do. And then you can, you know, proceed, um, can be pretty pertinent. Uh, I guess on my last thing is like, we already talked about this a bit, but like using quell when it's, um, when it's available, not like to save your life at the end, you know? So if I draw like two blues in a hand and I don't get, you know, two frostbit and I'm only going to present like one or two more damage with those blues, maybe I'll just burn my quell and block three instead and stay in a better position. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd also say like, uh, just kind of, riffing off of that uh you know obviously oasis respite is like a really really good card so like any color of oasis you wound up drafting as phi is um really useful in this matchup to help stop some of the like maybe bigger arcane damage or it could be really backbone it could be really uh breaking backbreaking if uh, you have like a well-timed Oasis Respite on kind of their like larger damage output where they're trying to put you in like a zone uh, where they can kill you or strip cards or or what have you. Um, so even if you drafted yellows or blues of that card, it can be really, really uh, useful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, those cards really keep you alive. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, that goes for like all the classes, right? Like everybody wants red Oasis Respite. It's like, yeah, pack one, pick one for sure. No problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then for Eastlander, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but, um, you know, again, it's just like waiting for her good cards, like block with your garbage manufacture pivot turns. And, you know, again, in this format, I find in a lot of matchups, the pivot turns are so huge because, you know, I found like for Eastlander, especially against aggressive Phi, it's more about rather than just like a steady blue and a little chip and mostly block, you know, which is like part of your game plan, though. It can it can be a lot more beneficial to like, you know, kind of bide your time and do what you can, but like prioritize your your health or like getting through your deck because then that turn where you can like have enough life to take a bit of damage and then say you play a red aether ice vein fuse it arsenal you know a blue uh aether hail right like that's the huge pivot turn where you win the game because you strip a card deal five damage or strip another card if they want to block some and then you're going to do another five damage and a frostbite on their turn now you're like really on the front foot they can't present enough to like you know kill you or win the game you get all your cards to choose how to like proceed and so I find that that turn is like maybe more important than just like, I don't know, a steady one frostbite on their turn or just trying to get in some damage, even if it's like really inefficient or, you know, like taking a bunch to then like play yellow ice bolt on your turn. You know, it's like, no, I'm just going <laughs> to block for six more and I'm going to like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to find this game state where I can win, which is not always very easy because sometimes you're getting run over and don't have the time for this. But I found like, I mean, that's really the clutch play style, I guess, in my limited experience, my limited, totally. limited experience. <laughs> totally. I would, uh, 
echo all of those sentiments for sure. Like, cause in, in Icelander, you're, you don't want your health total low enough, right? So you don't want to trade uh, five damage for three often, right? Cause you just lose that because you're already down two health. You know what I mean? So it's like you play uh, Arctic incarceration, give them two frostbites, they pay through it and you wind up taking five damage and then you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll waning moon them also, right? Um, and then you just like arsenal a card, but you like lose on like that damage exchange. Whereas like you in classic wizard style, you want them to like extend themselves a little bit and you can then punish them in those like windows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or like deny them arsenals by waiting until like they have one card left in hand and then like none floating. And then you play blue aether ice vein, um, you know, or, or something like that and strip that arsenal card or, or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, it's not so much about like consistent chip damage, which it like can be if you have plenty of block for threes, but it's really about finding those windows to punish them and win over like incremental advantage states like that, you know, like you're totally fine with yeah. trading three for three, right? If you're dealing three and you only take three, you're totally okay with that because you're a wizard and you can beat them on their turn um, with your instant spells, but you just don't want to make that gap so big that you can't, get behind it you know i think too there's a there's icelander decks that you wind up with a couple of really good red spells um that can you can pivot off of like aether ice vein i would say even yellow aether ice vein is like really good um and then like you know ice bolt red um some of the the polar caps can be useful as well like whack them for some damage give them a frostbite you know, tax them before their turn even starts type of deal. Um, so if you kind of have the innate power in your Icelander deck, it can, it can play out a little bit different, um, but you still need that really good backbone of uh, block for three ice blues, right? Yeah. All righty. Five versus Dromai. Let's get into it. Okay, who goes first, Phi or Dromai? If you're um, Phi, do you go first or second? Oh, this is a good question. So I, as Dromai, I have been going second against Phi because then I can decide whether I want to pitch two reds and take some damage to Miter and get two Ash or if I just need to block out if Phi is having a killer turn. And then I get the first real swing at Phi which this is like a bad matchup. So I kind of want that even though setting up is so good. It's still, it's just like, you know, I mean, starting with an arsenal and a dragon would be awesome, but it's just like odds are you're not going to have that hand. So I've been <laughs> taking the first real swing, but um, you know, that could be, that could be incorrect, right? Like getting that ash off, free ash off the miter, the arsenal that might um, be a little bit better, but that's what I've been, trying so far um as phi i want to go second right i'm i'm just trying to i'm just trying to go face and race you um you know 
I mean, that's my only fi note here too. It's just like I'll ignore <laughs> Ash Wings unless I'm on the back foot. Only kill the dragons I have to. It's just like if my fi deck's good enough, I'm gonna put Dromai on a very short clock and make it really hard to just like yeah. save cards. Yeah. Um, I, what do you think about the the turn? Yeah, First I agree. Both decks want to go second. You want to deny Fi that the first uh, turn where their damage matters. And as Fi, you want the first turn where damage matters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that one's a bit more cut and dry for sure. Yep. Well, I gave you my only Fi advice in this matchup. <laughs> Do you I mean, have anything you want to add to that? That's basically it. I mean, you know, there's fucking cheeky shit where you hit an ash wing to like get a hit effect off or something. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but for the most part, you're just like giving them no room to breathe. And it's really hard as Drill My. Unless you're kind of the Cinepi deck, then it's like a little bit easier to have parody uh, in that game. But if you're like ash wing spam or a bit more dragon heavy, uh, it makes it really hard to have the cards to uh, have any sort of board state. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit already in the Dromai section, but you know, yeah, again, as Dromai, I'm just trying to mean manu- like block and manufacture a big turn, right? Cause if I can have a turn that's like, you know, scar blaze headlong play Necria, you know, that's like 12 damage in a board state. So I can then block and also threaten again, but you can't, and that's only, uh, that's four cards. So I blocked one card, I guess. Um, right. But you're, you're just the game state you manufactured for that turn is that you have a fairly high life total, like, you know, 13 health or something like that, you know, definitely. Um, or the Senapai swing back just to threaten their life. But yeah, you know, short of, yeah, I guess that's the only advice I have is just maintain your life total so you can buy your like, you know, super great, super great. Maybe you have a couple Ash Wings and you can like, um, you know, use Sash or, you know, tack a Red Hot or a Lava Burst on the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Scar, Ash Wing, Ash Wing, Lava Burst, you know, is like a more muted version of this example. But um, yeah, you're... You're not going to get many windows and you have to like, you have to be able to capitalize on when you can. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Patience, patience is key. And that's the only time I've won as Dromai versus Fi is um, just being really patient, uh, trying to just make like the best exchanges I can. Um, and, uh, you know, cognizant of what's left in my deck versus what i've blocked with etc you know you got to play both sides yeah and of course like vincerakai is the dream here but there's also just other like kind of cheeky way like you could take a bit of damage or maybe they have a bit of an off turn and you like play asvali which is free and then play a sigil of protection so that's three cards so but you know you have a dragon on the board that has three health and a red sigil of protection out that blocks four. So this next turn coming in, um, you're a little bit more set up to then like try to further your pivot. Um, you know, I'm trying to present other things other than dream hands, but you know, that would, uh, that would get you there a little bit as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Last matchup besides the mirrors, but (laughs) Eastlander versus Dromai. 
So who's going first and who's going second? Oh yeah. Um, as Eastlander, I want to go. I want to go first as either. Really, I mean, this is a longer match, maybe. Um, and you know, Dromai, you don't want to burn your quell blocking their free first turn. You know, you you would both very much enjoy setting up here. Yeah, I agree. You both want to go first. Um, that's the dream, especially as Icelander, you want to go first. Hopefully, you draw into like a four damage spell and you know, the resources to just basically deal or threaten six damage. It's kind of the minimum you want to do right there and then start your game, you know, where they're hopefully on uh, 14 to your 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as how this plays out, so on the Eastlander side of it, I've found that like you're the aggressor, right? You're like going pretty hard until they have out like three or four ash wings and then can kind of like out tempo you and block up most of your stuff. And then the game can kind of go quite long. Um, so this is like where singe comes in, right? Like if I see a red singe firsthand, I'll just like pitch it and then see it late game to then get rid of their arcane barrier and kill them. Hopefully. Um, I actually really enjoy this matchup because it goes kind of long and it's like very tempo-y, um, mm -hmm. you know, and there can kind of be two stages like, burn them down and then they're like they have their ab up so then you gotta like uh kind of manage your things here but again the a lot of your spells and the little blue pingers that do one damage um which are kind of garbage and frosting yeah, yeah. kind of garbage in other matchups are like uh really pay for themselves here because you can just end their turn and well dromai can block a lot of ab and like build their board state Icelander can also buy a lot of time with the like pinging dragons out of the air and, uh, yeah. you know, waiting for that, that second, you know, that second pitch stack or second cycle where you, you know, yeah. see your singes and you, you know, blue aether hail or, you know, whatever, whatever's coming. Yeah, totally. Any four damage spell becomes like really important, uh, cause you got to kill the like instantly or any free four damage <laughs> attack, right? Like that, that dragon's got to freaking go. Um, and uh, Miragai, right? Just like uh, four damage spells, two damage spells are really important because that's a lot of dragons that give you trouble, their health total. Um, and, you know, you're also, you're kind of playing chicken, right? As Dromai, you're like trying not to attack with an Ashwing if you don't have to, because right. they'll just freaking shoot it, and then you you learn lose go again. So you have to like sequence your turn correctly, right? Um, and you know, as Icelander, you know they're trying to play around that, so you're trying to like double play around. You know what I mean? It's like I know you're going to play this way, so I'm going to play this way. Type of you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, mental chess that's going on yeah. or whatever, which makes it a really fun, uh, a really fun matchup uh, for sure. Yeah. And on that same note, I've like, I mean, Sixers are great to end their turn, but I've also used a Sixer to kill Uvia, you know? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. having like, like one time I killed a something with a yellow scar into like a yellow brothers in arms or something like it's really <laughs> bad, but it's just like, you know, it's got to go whatever <laughs> I find that can get rid of it. Um, totally. Um, and, and like getting rid of the dragons is more impactful 
than it feels, right? As the player who gets rid of the dragon, you're like, well, God. But then as the player who had the dragon, you're like, dang, where's now there goes my weapon, you know, my repeatable damage I can do that doesn't cost a card. Totally. They only have so many dragons in limited, right? And if you get rid of it, it's gone. Yeah. Three or four, right? Maximum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess we already covered the Dromai side a little bit, but it's just like attack with your high health dragons first. Sometimes you won't even attack with your Aether Ashwings if you can like play a Senapai instead, you know, like Ember Maw Senapai at the end, and then you can keep your Arcane Barrier up. Um, you know, it's really, uh, yeah, kind of waiting them out and, um, you know, blocking some of that Arcane damage. For sure. Um, all right. Well, I have, we got, we got the mirror matches here that are going to go pretty fast. I only have one note about Phi. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I have some stuff to say, but it's short, but let's get into the mirror. Cool. So five mirror yeah. go. Um, so the first player to be able to threaten lethal is going to win here. Right. So your whole yeah. job is to manufacture this game state. Right. So like, say I block, you know, Say I take a bit of, say you're having a bit of an off turn and I take a bit of damage, right? So say I go down to 12 life, but then I have all my cards or four, you know, and then I have this huge turn and I get you down to like, you know, three life. And then you have all five of your cards, right? But now I'm able to block with a couple cards, not die. And I'm able to threaten your life total like way over. Yeah. You know, so this is kind of what I'm looking for. Did that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think of it as like the first player to deal 12 or more damage uh, in those first couple of turns is like the one who wins, right? Is if if you're able to get them like sub 10 health, then it's easy for you to play a bit more mid-rangey and, you know, block with a few card, block with two cards, keep two, one, you know, or something like that. Threaten seven. Now they're on three health. So if they don't like kill you, you know, you start consistently muting their turns with just like single, single cards. So, um, yeah, that's how I think of it. Yeah. That once you can start stripping cards cause you're threatening lethal, it's just like you're, you're winning. And that's a mistake players will make cause they're like, well, I'm going to have this huge turn back right with my five card hand. But then if you go to two and you're not going to kill them, and you get them to six or five, or you know what I mean? Then it's just so much easier. You're not in a good position there. Yeah, totally. Because now one card, one zero cost four card uh, requires two cards to block it or else you die. Right? Yeah. No. So, uh, yep. All right. Icelander. Yeah. Go for uh, it. Whoever has Spellfire Cloak wins. <laughs> <laughs> then if you both have it, Whoever has more Oasis Respites also wins. Oh, that's a good point. I think yeah. I beat Colin and he had a cloak and I didn't, but agreed. I still agree with you. <laughs> totally. Cause you're like your frostbite and shit doesn't matter. Cause they can just respond to, uh, that trigger layer. Um, so they don't really affect you, uh, too much. Um, yeah. That, so. uh, 
dampen is a Kano card, not an Eastlander card. It does yeah, not work. <laughs> totally. You hit them and then they just respond on top of it and then you have yeah. nothing to block. It's only good if it's like the red because it's like two for four, which is like not bad, but yeah. you get no secondary effects there. Also attacks any target, so it would kill a dragon, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, maybe there's like blue dampen shenanigans, but that card's bad, so I'd rather mm-hmm. just have like something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cost two. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is just the classic wizard match, right? It's like they... You know, they can respond for lethal at instant speed. So you have to think way ahead of steps or, you know, way ahead of time. And you make these incremental chip steps, as do they. And you want to be in the spot where when they're overextended, you can present lethal on top of it and not be in that spot. It's really hard to not get in that spot. Yeah, it's like totally. a very nuanced matchup. Yeah, because you're jockeying for that their health total is low enough that you can spell them on their turn, right? After they've done something. So then that they have to like uh waning moon you to try to kill you, but then you can just in response to their moon use your moon to kill them, right? It's kind of like yeah. what you're trying to do there. Um <laughs> It sucks to draw a dud hand in this matchup, though, when you're both getting low because you're like, all right, oh, don't show on my face that I got nothing here and have to stall for two turns yeah. until I <laughs> until I, I get have something. Three ice cards that deal no damage. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to play one of them and then Waning Moon. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty fun, I think. Matchup the mirror is really fun. Yeah. That's my favorite mirror match for sure. Yeah, nice. Uh, Dromai mirror match. Yep. What do you got? Um, so there's like, <clears throat> I haven't played this very much, but there's, so there are some Dromai decks, like I said, that are just like, you know, Scar, Blaze Headlong, Free Dragon, Lava Burst, you know, so you can definitely win that way. Um, but in general, uh, I think that having a superior board state will you know, win you this matchup and your ash wings can kill their ash wings and vice versa. So use your ash wings to kill theirs and then later attack them with, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, what dragons everybody has is also really important, right? Uh, like Yinderai is super clutch in this matchup. Uh, Necria is really sick. You know, the ones with a little bit higher health, Mm-hmm. um are pretty sweet i wonder too uh this i need to test is if cinepi deck beats dragon deck you know i don't know i mean if dragon deck has a three poppers stands yeah. pretty good chance if you have no poppers then yeah probably not yeah so uh interesting to find out if you already know the answer to that question Send us a message. Uh, Okay. So shall we take a short commercial break here before we move into our signature segments? Oh, sounds great. Great. Okay. We'll see you back after this commercial break. Have you ever been belittled by brutes? Perhaps you've been overwhelmed by nonstop ninja naughtiness. Tired of being whipped by wizards and warriors? Are you wrecked nonstop by rune blades? 
then what you need is Teclo. At Teclo Industries, we provide the tech you need to survive the wilds both in and outside the city of metrics. At its core, Teclo is all about speed and our products are legendary. We have the heart and the drive to keep you alive. Teclo Industries, building a better future yesterday. And we're back. Okay, so let's do it. <laughs> so sweet. Coming at me hot. Uh, so before we get into our signature segments, we have quite a few uh, questions from our community members on Discord or from Twitter. Um, and we kind of just want to, we've answered some of these, but we're going to blast through these any, anyway, um, just to kind of drive home any points or maybe we missed a little nuance to it. So here we go. Uh, from Discord, Fox51, shout out to Nate, uh, wanted us to go over the pack structure. So how a pack is constructed in Uprising is you usually have three commons right up front, and those are either talents or generics, right? So it's either uh, ice cards, generic cards, or draconic cards are right there in the front three. Then you have your equipment slot, and then you have your rare, which can be any card, right? Generic, talent, class. Um, and then you have your rare plus slot, which is the same uh, in terms of what card it can be. And then you have your foil, which also can be any card, any rarity. Then after that is you have your seven extra commons and those are class cards only right so i think uh me and isaac were talking you're guaranteed to get two class cards in those seven minimum yeah um, i think in the whole pack there's at least two of each class card yeah i think so and then you have your two tokens at the end of that right so you can get into weird spots like in this particular pack I have in front of me. There are only two cards for Draconic Illusionist. There isn't a Draconic card, a Draconic Talented card, and there's only two Draconic Illusionists. So like, even if I were to pick, and there's seven cards a wizard could run. So even if I pick a wizard card, right, it's still the signal I'm passing is it seems like uh, Draconic Illusionist is cut off and uh, Wizard is open, right? Um, so can be a bit tricky like that and is something to be cognizant of as well. Yeah, I agree because packs can be so skewed like that. Um, I think really early it's easier to look for like markers, right? Like pack one, pick ones that got passed to you. You know, so if there's like, um, there's no equipment, know, yeah, no equipment or like, you know, if somebody passes you like a red, you know, aether ice vein and a blue aether hail, right. It's like odds are they didn't choose a wizard card because those are like the two best in my opinion, um, right. you know, or like a, maybe a Ky Kyloria or, you know, just something like that, um, or like yeah. a red ember moss centipede, you know? So yeah, initially because it's so hard to tell, I try to look for like those kind of markers for my initial impression. And then also try to kind of like keep track of how many, like once I'm past like three or four packs, kind of notice like, okay, there have been 
not very many Eastlander, or there have been less excellent Eastlander cards across these last like three or four packs. So odds are Eastlander is not open because it's like it, you can't just count. Um, yeah, what's been taken? Totally. Yeah. So for example, in this pack, also like another signal you can send right because there are only two uh, illusionist cards. One of them is blue dust up. Blech. And the other one is red billowing mirage. Pretty good. Um, if you take that red billowing mirage, pretty good card in your draconic illusionist deck. And it really sends signals like there is no draconic illusionist here for you. Right. So then in pack two, potentially you really get a nice pick of draconic illusionist. If that's what you wind up going into, because you should have been cutting off everybody upstream from you yeah. from it. And that brings up really sending that signal. Yeah. That brings up a really good point. I feel like people weigh sending signals less. I mean, obviously, right. Because you're going to packs one and three you're receiving. So reading your seat is like arguably more important than the signals you send. Um, But with that caveat, it's like, I mean, sending signals is super important. Like if I pack one, pick one, if there's, so say there's no, um, you know, say there's no good Dromai cards except this red Ember Moss Senapai, right? There's very few illusionist cards and there's no other good ones. So if I pick that pack one, pick one, I'm sending the signal instantly downstream that I'm an illusionist, right? So I've already cut that off. Um, That might not end up being my seat and I might not end up taking that but now I have this bit of information as I move into like packs two through six or whatever, like Picks. I've already established I'm illusionist and then, you know, maybe I'll switch out pretty fast and then I'll change the signal and they'll pick up that it, Oh, it actually is open. But you know, you just send that signal right away and you're like a bit ahead of the game. Um, you know, that way, do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that's the beautiful part about draft is it's not only about reading. It's also about sending. Right. Yeah. There's a give and take in the yeah. at the table. Dictate your seat as well. Yeah. Definitely. Um, um okay. Mike Popovich asked, what are some sneaky, not obvious interactions? Uh and I got nothing here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is anything like not obvious we haven't talked about or that you can figure out like relatively quickly. Like you can use miter turn one with Dromai to make some ash or turn zero uh, to make some ash if you're going second, which is kind of nice. Um, Yeah, that's about like the only, you can like strategic plan, is it strategic planning that sends a card, tucks a card under, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you can do that turn zero against Phi, which is pretty sick. Um, if you just yeah, draw burn into their it, flame. yeah, put their Phoenix yeah. flame on the bottom of their deck, and so yeah. maybe save yourself like three damage uh, yeah, over no, the next three turns. That's a really good one, actually. I just hate that card for all the other reasons, but it's pretty cheeky in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. So outside of that, I don't really know. I mean, Tyler mentioned on our last interview trading in a Phoenix Flame, which is pretty sick. That just hasn't come up for me yet, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is pretty good. 
discard it, draw a card. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Okay, so then next up, uh, Patrick asks, how have the heroes shaped up versus your initial impressions of them? Uh, they have shaped up quite nicely, if I don't say so myself. Uh, they're totally fun. Uh, I guess Dromai is a bit less fun than, or maybe even less powerful than I kind of have initially thought it would be and how it would play out. Um, but I could just probably need some more practice on particularly like drafting that deck. That's the thing sometimes about draft practice is you're practicing like reading signals, sending signals. And sometimes you wind up drafting one hero more times than the other one, you know, but that's what teammates are for is you lean on their experiences in that scenario. So definitely. What do you got? Um, uh, the heroes I have found, and especially in their limited matchups have been a lot more deep than I um, originally gave them credit for. Like I mentioned the Eastlander versus Dromite matchup, you know, it's just like this epic slog through your whole deck sometimes, Um, which, you know, just in my mind, I was like, Oh, well, this is Dromite favorite, you know, whatever. Um, The only one I just for my personal playstyle, Fi is like a bit disappointing. It's pretty fun to fill up the whole combat chain with cards and kill your opponent. But identifying the lines and the variety in the cards is just like not that complex to me. Um, but it's it's probably just it's not really my playstyle. Um, I I very much prefer a little bit more of a interactive um, hero. So. I mean, five's just fine. Just uh, you know, pretty linear. Nope. Tweet at Isaac. You're freaking that he's a five yeah. denier. Tweet at him. <laughs> All right. Next question. Yep. Uh, you want me to read it, or I thought we were oh, taking I got turns. It. <laughs> Staying open seems uh, really hard in this set. I've seen a few takes on how long you have to make the call, and it's like four to six picks. What's your metric from uh, Hades in our Discord? Totally. That's right. Shout out to the world. the true uh, Australian Hayden. <laughs> um, how about you answer that first, there, Isaac? Oh, sure. So, um, I completely agree. But for me, a lot of a lot of people still view staying open as like in maybe the classic sense, like in you know, destiny or magic or like welcome to Wraith or something where you just pick like seven powerful generics and then you try to get a signal or whatever. Whereas since, you know, maybe like a bit of Monarch, but mostly Tales and now Uprising, staying open is like not just picking generics. Um, Right. So I guess an example would be like, um, so say I have a red scar for a scar a red blaze headlong um uh you know a red aether ice vein a blue arctic incarceration and um you know let's say uh yenderai yeah sure yeah or i was gonna mention like a free you know ninja go again card or something right so these are all so i only have i have one ice card I have one generic and I have one draconic card, right? Um, so in this whole set, I only have one generic, right? The scar. But 
if I go Eastlander, I have three playables, including Scar for a Scar. Um, you know, if I go um, Ninja, I have three playables as well. Um, or if that's a dragon, then I have two playables and I have three in Dromai, right? So I'm like still pretty open with, you know, powerful cards in each class. Right, because the I mean the draconic does really help you out here, right? But so it doesn't really really matter where I go. So if I go Eastlander here, I've wasted two picks, right? And I get forty two picks out of thirty playables and five cards, right? So or uh, sorry, four equipment. Um, so you know I maybe burned, you know, two of my eight cards I you know can't use, which sometimes you get wield those cards, right? So those. Those are pretty valuable. But anyway, I guess just the point I'm trying to make is it's like, um, while keeping in mind what signals you're sending, you can't be too all over the place because then you won't like reap the benefits in uh, pack two. But um, you can stay open while, um, I guess, fishing for some of the powerful cards from from other classes. Because if you if you just try to go from generics, man, there's like a lot of garbage. You know, you're not going to choose like yellow trade-in. Yeah, blue you know? trade-in even, you know. Yeah, maybe it's just blue like, is better. Yeah. I'm going to take a class card here. But you are correct in that you do have to make the decision fairly fast in this format because there's less cards per pack and, um, you know, still need a 30-card deck. Yeah. Uh, Isaac, you hit the nail on the head. It's basically like you picks four through six. You're just trying to pick some cards that'll help whatever deck you wind up jumping into. Right. Um, because without those, like if you pass up red aether ice vein, uh, you will then have to face it down and you will be upset. You know what I mean? And it's like a card you really want in, um, Icelander, it's super, super powerful. Um, so picking that over something, you know, like yellow scar for a scar or, you know, yellow brother in arms, which is maybe like pretty good because it like can block for four. Uh, even that I would be like, you know, uh, I would not want yellow brother arm brothers in arms versus, uh a key class card basically yeah me neither yeah in Um, in the in the interest of trying to remain as open as possible yeah and so in this scenario of five cards right i've kind of cut off eastlander and sent that signal but now we're five cards in i have to make a decision so if i like hard pivot into like phi right because that's just the strong signals i'm getting it's like not really too late and the person down downstream of me here is gonna like pick up that oh maybe i wish wish washed a little bit but you know (laughs) there's like no ninja cards so you know whether even if they have to maybe adjust a little bit late um you know you'll still send that strong signal throughout the rest of pack one here um and you know there i don't mean to entirely discount generics like red oasis for spite red scar for a scar you know like red brothers in arms like this is where you want to be those are just kind of like not very common. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Trying to move a little quicker here. Um, Sleep Strong from our Discord asks Do you like going first or second in Limited and why? Also, what packs do you prioritize picking equipment over power cards? So, 
I think we talked about already why we would go first or second in all of those matchups and why, but why do, what packs do you prioritize equipment over cards? And I say, uh, I usually pick equipment pretty early. I mean, there's certain equipments you're looking for, right? Like you're looking for sash, you're looking for a heat wave, you're looking for spellfire cloak and quelling slippers, uh, I think are the kind of the the best, not in that order, but the best pieces of equipment. So if I see those in like pack one, I'll just probably pick them. You know what I mean? Uh, just because they're like the best equipment and um, you definitely want it for sure. Yeah. And then in, you know, yeah, I won't pick them all pack one, pick one, but if nothing at the pack is like screaming at me, all you know then take some equipment i don't have yet and oftentimes i'm really glad that i did or like in early in pack two you know i don't have a chest for my hero yet so i'll take that quelling robe yeah you know pack two pick one or you know, or pack two pick two whatever um like pack two pick two i'm gonna grab this quelling robe there's nothing like this pack's just okay i don't have a chest yet you know i do need quell um so yeah, it's not always first priority, but it's, you know, I guess having played and really appreciate Quell uh, makes it a bit easier, but it's just when it seems like the best card in the pack. Yeah. It's not it's like, not very helpful. it's not like Tales of Aria, right? Where like you, your, your deck is not better or like the margin of how much better your deck is with runaways versus not having runaways over like a card in your deck is so minuscule that it like doesn't matter. Whereas I would argue that having a piece of quell is potentially just as impactful as like um, kind of your like mid tier cards. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. Sweet. Okay. Next question. Are yellows worse than usual in this set? <laughs> uh, yes. Not not as much in Phi because they kind of hedge against frostbite, but yes, dramatically yeah, so. Totally. Terrible. Yellow suck. Um, okay, from Yuki Lee Bender, friend of the pod and personal friend of ours. What does a good draw my deck look like in your experience? What cards do you look for and how do you beat Fi? <laughs> I wrote, I have no clue, but I would <laughs> guess that like a mid-range Cinepi deck would be a bit more uh, resilient which we kind of outlined earlier. What are your thoughts, Isaac? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking for, I guess, you know, dragons, um, like Dunebreaker Senapai, um, you know, red rake and red go again. Like you just have to pick up so much red go again, which some of these like fill the same, like billowing mirage, right? Great illusionist card or sweeping blow, but also gives you red go again here. Um, yeah, I got we we got into those matchups quite a lot. Um, so it's just tough. <laughs> it's like one of the it's the most polarizing matchup, I think, are those yeah. two. You know, I definitely compared, think it's the hardest compared to the the other ones you can get well, into. And it, it's just so hard to build. Dr- so if you're the only Dromai at the table or one of two, you can make like a pretty fire deck, right? But if there's too many, it's going to be pretty weak just because the amount of components you need compared to the other decks. Right. They only kind of need to do like, like have one or two ratios or something. Whereas like 
dromites like you need red go again you need like you know centipies are pretty aggressive cards for some matchups and you need like uh ashwing production for other matchups so you know that's a lot of and the fact that the matchups change so drastically i feel like in terms of card performance means that it kind of has the most moving parts drafting dromite kind of reminds me of drafting leviah it's just like a lot of moving pieces oh yeah yeah totally um, but anyway, yeah, we went over the matchup. So good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> uh, final question. Yep. Oh, which Eastland or Comet would make you A, get in that lane early, or B, convince you to pivot into that lane? From Tommy Fresh on Twitter. What's Hell up, Tommy? Yeah. The big bud himself. Um, so for me, it's Aether, Ice Vein, Red, or Blue, or Blue, Aether, Hail. Like, I will just pick those just to friggin' hate pick them. They're so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Red, Aether, Ice Vein, or Blue, Aether, Hail. I'm not that high on Blue, Aether, Ice Vein. But, um, yeah. You know, really, really good. I guess Spellfire Cloak also. Oh, yeah, but Spellfire I, again, Cloak. By picking this one thing, you're not like really pivoting into it unless it's a little later, I guess. So yeah, if you see one of these things like pack, you know, pick six or something, you're like, oh yeah, I've already hedged this way a little bit. Yeah. And Eastlander's open. We're going for eye switch for sure. Yeah. Nice eye switch. Yeah. It just sounds cooler. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all of our uh, listener questions on this topic. Uh, yeah, thank you for submitting them. Uh, usually we tweet out the day of, so follow us on Twitter um, to get your questions in there or become a Patreon member and hang out in our Discord. One of the best online communities is the Attack Action Podcast uh, Discord, so you want to you be in there. Welcome to Pick Path Prey again, sponsored by Fab Foundry. Forged uh, in the Foundry. Forged in the Foundry. Working uh, catch line. If you need any sort of flesh and blood singles and uh, are looking for high quality packaging and a personal touch to each um, order you make, then Fab Foundry is the place for you, right? Grassroots um pull yourself up by the bootstraps made yourself from from nothing into a empire uh that's that's what fab foundry has done so we have an affiliate link below that if you need any singles like if you're looking for those foils baby uh go click through that link at fab foundry but this pick pack spray is sponsored by them so make sure you go follow them on twitter link in the description below you'll have a chance to win both blitz decks and six packs of uprising all you got to do is like that tweet and comment what your pick pass prey would be so let's get into it so pick pass prey is a draft scenario i'm going to give you three cards isaac you're going to choose which one you're going to pick which one you're going to pass and which one 
you pray comes back around. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, first card up is red scar for a scar. Generic attack action, defends for two, pitches for one, cost zero, and attacks for four. It reads, when you play scar for a scar, if you have less health than an opposing hero, it gains go again. Okay. Second card, rapid reflex blue. Cost one, pitches for three, is an att- is a ninja attack reaction, defends for three, and it says target attack action card with zero gains plus one. Okay. Third and final card, we've talked about it a lot, is blue aether hail. It is a wizard, ice wizard action. Defends for three, pitches for three, costs one, and it reads deal two arcane damage to any target. So Isaac, which one are you going to pick? Pass and pray. Comes back around. I'm going to pick blue aether hail um, because of the signal it sends the just value of that card scar for a scar is like a really close second here. Um, I've just found that the, the go again, while sometimes you can manufacture it is still conditional um, and like rarely, but sometimes kind of bricks. Um, but I'm going to hope that that, comes back around somehow (laughs) and passing on rapid reflex yeah rapid reflex blue i mean it's nice because it like blocks for three and is a blue but it just like to me doesn't function at all and like i said i prefer the blues that like auto go again blues to smooth out your hand all right what do you got sweet um well i think i'm going the same exact way as you maybe only the second time in our show's history that that has (laughs) happened um but so my point there is some kind of like interesting interplay with rapid reflex that it's one of the few blue block for threes you can get in phi and is potentially a cheeky way to win the game at the end right you come in for uh your third attack chain link you have one resource floating so you get your phoenix flame for free and phoenix flame them for one and then boom rapid reflex for the win you know potentially um has some value in all of those scenarios because it's like something you could pitch and play into but i do not think that overweighs the blue aether hail that is just like a money card and then the like inherent extra power level that scar for scar has kind of gets you there better so pick aether hail pray for scar for scar pass on rapid reflex so remember to go follow uh on it from fad foundry these cards will be posted there in a specific tweet for this giveaway and you got to like and comment what your 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 picks and passes and praise will be so thank you again to fab foundry um, yeah, those blitz stacks are going to be sweet. <laughs> they totally are. Okay, uh, I think it is time for riddle me this. Um, so this episode's riddle me this is tome of duplicity. It's a blue wizard, majestic, costs three, pitches for three. Blocks for two. 
and it's a wizard action. Look at the top two cards of your deck, then banish one. If it's a non-attack action card, you may play it this turn as though it were an instant. I do not, so I haven't sat down and like lined this card up with other cards to like really try to figure it out yet. But in Kano or Easlander, I just don't get it. It's just not cost effective, right? Like you can Kano for the cost of this card. Um, I mean, you can pay for it and play it, but then it burns your action point. And then it's like you, you know, I don't know, Kano'd twice. It just, it just doesn't seem like the upside does not seem cost effective, right? Like it blocks for two. It it doesn't have go again. It just seems like if you hit it off the top, it's like pretty bad. Um, anyway, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this card? Uh, I don't know. It seems like a crazy combo card, right? Like for in some magical Christmas land where you sonic boom this off the top for free, it's like pr- pretty nuts, right? But then you could just sonic boom like a red spell off of the top. And right, that would be... you wanted to hit. Yeah. yeah, that would be pretty nuts, right? So uh, I don't know. It is interesting to have a card that potentially digs through your deck more, right? Um, but that doesn't just inherently draw you cards. So... I'm not sure. It's interesting, but it's just weird on your turn. This would cost two cards plus whatever resources it costs to play, pay the card you see. Right. So it costs you three cards to just do this on your turn. Or if you hit it off the top, it costs you three to Kano costs you three to play it and then costs you to play it again. It's just like not, not cost effective. Yeah. Unless we get into some deep rabbit hole of card combos and it turns out to be good. I I got this in a draft deck um, just because it was a blue. And uh, I mean, this is like as close to cool as this card probably gets is that I pitch stacked this card um, and then was pretty close to then like a red Aether Hail. Uh, But I was like, my count was like one off. So I hit some like bullshit card. (laughs) instead instead but the idea was that i was going to like get a big spell at the Mm -hmm. end get a like triple spell right like one from arsenal or it's tome from arsenal and then that's a way for me to like red spell you on your turn is what i was trying to do but it did not work out (laughs) so that's as cool as it's gotten for me right is is that i can try to like do that in draft that way but that's that's it yeah you could like aether ice red aether ice vein and moon them you know yeah for another blue exactly see yeah that was the idea or aether hell for blue yeah totally but i hit like blue frosting and you know was like (laughs) three damage short or whatever so fair (laughs) enough something stupid um Um, all right yeah our last go ahead oh yeah do you have any more input in that No, I was going to help segue us to Game from the Closet. Here at the Attack Action Podcast, we like to play many games and uh, sometimes we'd like to share one of those with you uh, in the hopes that you will enjoy this game at home. So in this segment, uh, I'm going to choose a video game. I don't want to share too many video games, um, but 
This is uh, pretty enjoyable. So my pick this episode is called Little Nightmares 2, which is a side-scrolling like horror puzzle game for Xbox and I'm sure other platforms um, that I don't like horror genre stuff because I'd rather have a fun adventure in my free time than be afraid. (laughs) (laughs) But this game is just like, uh, I don't know. It's like freaky. It's fun. The puzzles and the progress are all really enjoyable. And it's like pretty, it's like really, really beautiful. And um, like the graphics and lighting. And it's like super immersive while being pretty casual. Um, I've also played with Mitch before where we just take turns playing because it's pretty entertaining. Um, So yeah, if you're looking for some sort of like, you know, I'm not a typically a side scroller or casual game guy, but this, uh, this one's like pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, Go like watch a, a trailer for it and you'll probably know if you'll like it or not. Nice. That's fun. Look at you spreading your wings. Trying to do stuff. stuff. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. Cool. Uh, Well, that is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, If you would like to support us, there are a number of ways you can do that. Uh, you can like, and subscribe everything we do all of the time. That's super useful. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily, best way to do that is to join the Patreon. It's, uh, $4 a month gets you access to the discord. And, uh, anytime we do any sort of cool discord events, uh, or, or giveaways or anything like that. And you become a part of like a really cool, uh, community online. Uh, just the other day, uh, I was talking with one of our members and they, you know, said that our discord has a real family feel to it and, uh, maybe one of the best compliments I've gotten. So, uh, and it helps us grow our, uh, channel and our brand and that sort of thing. We got a lot of things coming down the pipeline that are going to be pretty big. Um, and you know, Everything will always be free, um, but, you know, just if it has a value of $4 per month to you, then we would really appreciate uh, that kickback. So definitely. And if if you, uh, you know, enjoyed this or any episode or like learned um, anything from our pointers or like disagree um, or, you know, are we wrong about something, you know, you can comment on youtube in the discord you can like tweet at us on twitter uh just you know let us know yeah just staring at each other again doesn't doesn't (laughs) give us much much input so yeah we really appreciate you know hearing hearing whatever input you got yeah and keep uh, a few of you have taken up the mantle of uh reviewing the podcast on itunes which would be great keep that up uh, and on Spotify, giving us some number of stars, that would be great as well. And, uh, make sure you tell a friend, right? It's a great way to grow. Our community is just tell your buds, promote us, you know, um, it feels awkward, but, uh, they're a nerd too. So they're also <laughs> feeling awkward cause you're talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get out of here, huh? 
Uh, we'll see you next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Yep. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the Attack Action Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Battlebro Taylor and at Battlebro Isaac. Shoot us an email, the Attack Action Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, like and subscribe, shop for singles using our affiliate link, or support our Patreon for as little as $4 per month.